Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine and More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine and More. Welcome everyone to another episode of the NBA Podcast presented by B-Ball Breakdown. I'm Brian Taporic and joining me as always are my co-hosts Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. How's it going guys? Going well. How are you guys doing? Doing well, Brian and Sarah. How are you? <laughs> it's good to have you guys back. It's been a couple episodes. Yeah, it has, but you had Jeff on instead, so that, that more than makes up for it though. At least from my end. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we another shout out to Jeff McMenamin at Sixers. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at old navy and old navy.com valid 729 to 811 select styles excludes in-store clearance blog on twitter who joined us last time to get my jaleel okafor rants out so he spared you guys um credit to him too because at the end of last episode we previewed game two of the nba finals and he suggested he expected a 20 some point blowout and i thought he was crazy and scoffed at him and then the Warriors scoffed at me and blew out the Cavaliers by 33 points. Even though Steph and Clay didn't find their offensive rhythm, Draymond Green led the way with 28 points, 7 rebounds, and 5 assists. He was 5 of 8 shooting from downtown. And the Warriors won 110-77, taking a 2-0 series lead. And honestly, it looked like the series was just about over, heading back to Cleveland. But... Wednesday night in Game 3, the Cavaliers came out uh, throwing some punches. They took a 33-16 advantage in the first quarter and then ran that out to a 120-90 victory uh, overall. So uh, from what I saw, it was the biggest swing in NBA Finals history in terms of consecutive blowouts for either team. Uh, Guys, did you expect the Cavaliers to come back like that in game three? No, (laughs) no, I didn't. Um, 
I, I was trying to talk myself out of believing that it was going to be a sweep. So I definitely didn't expect, I didn't know that they were going to win. I, I was pretty sure they were going to drop both, hoping they'd win at least one. And certainly didn't expect a blowout. Not at all. I expected beforehand, let me just wrap it up a little bit or, or start over a little bit because here's the thing. When Kevin Love was announced out for the evening, that changed my prediction. I thought Golden State would come in, maybe struggle initially because it's it's a road game after all in the finals. There's some pressure. But I thought they would prevail in the end. But as soon as I heard Love was out, I thought, okay, they're going to switch it up a little bit. And they might be considering Channing Fry, even Richard Jefferson. Then this morning I found out when I when I caught the game that, yep, they did indeed start Richard Jefferson. <laughs> and I, I, I figured like if they had one of those guys in instead, they were going to be quicker, they were going to be more agile, and they were going to wreak havoc like defensively in a way they couldn't with love there. So that changed my prediction. And I didn't know that they would win by 30, obviously, but I did like think they would take game three but it's it's pretty crazy when an all-star player missing leads you to believe that the team is going to win yeah that's well i'm sure we'll talk a lot about k-love today because that's obviously the biggest storyline coming out of game three is what the cavaliers do with him assuming he is cleared for game four and beyond i'm with you morton i i expected uh the Cavs to come out and throw a good first punch in the first quarter. I also expected them, didn't expect a 30-point blowout just like you, but I did expect them to win. Uh, I wrote a piece at Fansided uh, Wednesday morning about how if Love was forced to miss the game, it was going to force the Cavaliers to make really drastic adjustments, which I think you need to do after getting routed by 33 points. You know, you can't roll out the same starting five and say everything's okay we just need to play harder that was partially true and the Cavaliers you know they did show a lot more effort especially on defense and they were more focused offensively in game three as well Uh, but I think you can argue that was at least in part because of the lineup change it seemed like there was a strategic adjustment to run a lot more pick and rolls with Kyrie and LeBron doing like one four pick and rolls, uh, which wasn't possible when Kevin Love was the starting four, obviously. So, yeah, I just I, I, let's just dive right into it. What what happens with Kevin Love? It sounds like, according to Jason Lloyd of the Akron Beacon Journal, the Cavaliers are privately expecting that he's healthy in Game Four. Can you go back to him as a starter? No. Yeah, I don't think so. We talked about yeah. that, though. I mean, before the series even started, you know, you guys suggested perhaps he should come off the bench, but we didn't expect it would happen because of, you know, the talk that would surround that. But, yeah, it's going to be really tough to do now. Yeah, this is an, like an Andrew Bogut situation, like from last year, except for the fact that last year was for spacing purposes. Right. And Love, Love can actually stretch the court. He's just too damn slow to react defensively. Yeah. So it's a different scenario, but still the same outcome. Um, but no, I, I don't think you can. And it seems like Teron Liu was kind of, you know, acknowledging that a little bit. He didn't cement that Love was going to start next game. Right. So he's keeping his options open, and I think that's the right play. Like, you, you, you're you 0 for 2 in the finals with Love. You're 1-0 and 0 
with Richard Jefferson. All right, fair enough. Small sample size and change of home court and all that. But still, they came out and blew away the Golden freaking State Warriors by 30 by switching up their schemes and having the ball go through the hands of Kyrie and LeBron. Mm -hmm. Here's another aspect that people don't talk about. Kevin Love has a tendency to stand with the basketball in his hands looking for passing angles, and it just slows down the clock and nothing happens. There is no motion there. With LeBron and Kyrie handling the ball, you see them moving, you see them cutting, you see them have some sort of dribble activity. Basically, it keeps the defense on their toes at all times, leading to better shots. That's what I want to see from Cleveland. Yeah, so... I agree with you guys that they should not start Kevin Love. I don't know that they have the courage to actually do that because Rachel Nichols of ESPN tweeted out a picture earlier today of Kevin Love at practice and he is wearing a red starters jersey, which was, that's how we got tipped off yesterday uh, at shoot around that Richard Jefferson was probably going to be starting. He was wearing the same red starters jersey. So it seems like the Cavs are planning on putting Love back in the starting lineup if he is cleared, which it sounds like they're expecting. But you could easily make the excuse that, you know, oh, he's coming back from concussion. We're just going to kind of limit him a little bit and bring off the bench. Like, that would be so easy to do, at least this first time. Yeah, I would think so, too. I I mean, I think the evidence is there. Like, you, you had such success with LeBron starting at the four, so he can start on Draymond. I mean, Draymond was the key to the the huge route in Game 2. Like, Curry hasn't shot well at all this entire series. But if you let Draymond be a playmaker, you're still going to get buried. And it seems like with LeBron on Draymond right to start, like that Curry-Green pick-and-roll, which gave Cleveland so much trouble in the first two games, they really contained that a lot better in Game 3. So... I don't think you could go back to love, but it seems like they're going to. Well, that's good. Then uh, Golden State will clinch on their home court. And, uh, <laughs> that's in true. Game five, they didn't do that last year, so yeah, no. Favor. But, but, it's yeah. a favor from Tyron Lue. Another note, right? It, I'm looking at the seasons or the series stats right now. Are do you do y'all think that Steve Kerr might be a little too lax with the minutes? Like playing his bench a little bit too much. I'm looking right now, and for the series, Clay Thompson is averaging less than 29 minutes a game, and Stephen Curry is just over 30. Now I know they sat a lot mm-hmm. last night because of the blowout, but still, I mean, I, I would like to see him leave them in a little bit further in these finals, maybe to create a push. Like there was a point in time where they started to make a run a little bit, and they started feeling a little bit co- confident, and then he went to the bench again and. I don't know, man. I, when I'm thinking about it, I, I would I would probably play these guys 40-plus just to see what could happen. That shooting stroke could be located in an instant, and if there's a team out there that can run off 12, 15, 20 points in, in three or four minutes, it's the Warriors. I kind of feel like it's a wasted opportunity. It's, it's funny that you say that because last night I was thinking there's like seven, six minutes to go, and Curry was still in, and I'm thinking, why the hell... Is <laughs> he still running around out there? But I hadn't really noticed like their minutes as a whole. Uh, so it's a good point that you make that they could possibly find their rhythm. Maybe all these blowouts are not helping them do that. Uh, it's such a tricky thing, though, 
for coaches. You yeah. Know? No, I, I get I get that. I'm I'm just thinking when you when you don't have your shooting touch going, like Clay Thompson right now is at thirty seven percent shooting. Mm-hmm. I, I would actually say fair enough. You you keep them in there, even though it it's a little bit of mob up duty. Get just locate that shot. Get the legs going. Find your rhythm. Carry it on into the next game. But you know that that's why I'm not an NBA coach. Seems like he did do that. I mean, Curry was so bad in the first half of Game Three, and then in the third quarter, it seemed like he started to find his stroke a little bit. And it yeah. was like they were still down twenty, and he was cutting the lead to like eighteen, and then fifteen, and the Cavs would push right back. So it did seem like he might have found something that was working a little bit more than he did at least in the first half. And the, mm. a similar thing happened last year. Like he was awful in game two and that was when matthew delavidova became the curry stopper i think he was like five of 23 i want to say like kobe bryant type efficiency um and then it was again like really bad in the first three quarters of game three and then the fourth quarter it seemed like you found something and that was when david lee came in as the small ball five and they they were using him to open up curry on screens so i'm not sure if that third quarter eruption from Steph was a sign of things to come or was it just like kind of a flash in the pan? I mean, I do think game two, you know, you're up 25, 30 points. You're trying to preserve your guys. Like there's no point in putting Curry in there, even though he's not playing super well. I think he still was seven of 11 in game two, had 18 points in like 25 minutes. So that was his best outing. And again, like the, the last thing you want, Morton, you of all people should know this. The last thing you want in the blowout of a playoff game is to have your star in there for the last minute. And then, <laughs> you know, some something catastrophic happens and swings the whole balance of the series. Well, you see, I'm, I'm a tips guy, you know, I, 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 I love tips. I don't fault tips for doing that back in the day. I mean, I, I, you know, I like the fact that he uses the last minutes to, to kind of achieve something going forward. And I agree with you that game, the game two blowout, that's fair because you're winning, take them out. Yeah. But in Cleveland, where you're in hostile territory, the baskets are a little bit different, the colors in the background are different, you can't really find your touch. Then I think there is some merit to leaving them out there just a little bit longer to just find something they can build on. Because as we have heard from NBA players since the dawn of time is – it's all about confidence. Mm. It's all about seeing that first shot, second shot, third shot go down and then build from there. And I do think that you're right, Brian, that Steph found something in third quarter that he might be able to carry over. But in that case, I still would want Clay out there because yeah. holy hell, it's it's been bad. And he was like an MVP candidate going into the series, like yeah. a finals MVP candidate. And we saw during the Oklahoma City series – I mean, how quickly things can turn. Like, Steph was really bad for most of that series. And then Clay caught fire in Game 6. And then Steph kind of drove the final dagger in. And then in Game 7, he was phenomenal. And it was, you know, all of us thought, like, oh, Steph's healthy again. (laughs) There goes that MCL thing. I mean, can we, we've, you know, we've been talking about this. But can we touch on, like, is what's going on with Steph right now? Is it a schematic thing? Is it a health thing? Is it just like a fluky, he's just missing open shots that he normally hits? Um, Voodoo? (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, I want to clarify that I wasn't laughing about Rose's injury, but uh, <laughs> Morton's face when you went there, Brian, was pretty awesome. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was it. Um, he just took me back four yeah. years to my life's worst nightmare. That's a, that's uncool, Brian. Sorry. I mean, I just had to make that point. You don't play, yeah. you know, yeah, you don't enough. play your guys when you're up 20 in the end of a blowout that you're in favor of. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, as, as far as Steph, like, well, Steph and Clay. I mean, we're probably not giving enough credit to, like, how much that series with Oklahoma could take out of players, Mm -hmm. especially the two of them. It required Herculean effort from them. Uh, But with Steph in particular, you know, this has kind of been going on for a while. That went on in the beginning of that series. So it's a good question, and I don't really know. Could you know? Yeah, we keep going back and forth. Is he hurt? Is he? He's not hurt. Now he's fine. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, fine. it could be some lingering issues, uh, ankle, knee. You know, that could be running all up and down his leg. But we really don't know. I, you know, I don't want to give him an out. But yeah, he certainly yeah. doesn't look like the guy that we've seen all year, and until he does <laughs> for flashes right. of Game Seven. So I don't he's, know. He's playing like trash. He's yeah. really playing like trash. He has a combined 25 turnovers and fouls this series co- compared to 28 combined rebounds and assists. Wow. I mean, it's really bad. I mean, he, he he's he's 15 turnovers for the series. Like, the second leading, you know, ball loser is, yeah, that's both Draymond and Clay with six. So he's plus nine in the turnovers department than any of his teammates. And I believe it's plus four and no plus two in the fouls department. It's like yeah, he's the only guy on the team with double, double digits um, in turnovers and fouls for this series, and he's picking up the cheap ones. Yeah, mm-hmm. one one thing is taking a hard hard foul and and really sticking it to him, but he's picking up the cheap ones, and that's just that's not him usually. And he it seems like when he does it. He's pretty hard on himself. You you see the cameras zoom in on him, and he's like shaking his head, looking down, and he's looking over to Steve. Steve is looking back at him, shaking his head, like, "What are you doing?" Mm-hmm. He's just he's playing timid basketball, which isn't Steph at all. But I don't have an answer. It's it seems pretty coincidental. Um, with Clay, I just think he's missing. I think Clay's activity and movement is pretty damn good. Yeah, I just think he he's not finishing his shots. Like he's when he's going going in for the for layups, he's he's just he's putting too much uh, force on the ball, so it just bounces off the rim, and the, the shots they're just not dropping right now. If he has one game like one of those game six in Oklahoma games, you know, he's back. Then he's back. Yeah. Uh, but but one of them needs that game. One of them needs to have that one breakout game like Kyrie and LeBron had last night. Yeah, I think. I mean, Steph, I think it's just we have to be nuanced here. I think it's a combination of his health. Like, I I mean, he's he pulled out of the Olympic team on Monday, and he cited his knee and ankle injuries. So I don't think he's – he's not going to be fully healthy until he has weeks off to recover. Like, what percent of health he is? Like, that was, you know, a big topic in OKC. It was 91.2% tonight. That doesn't really matter because everyone's kind of banged up. He's more banged up than most guys probably, but you know, no one is operating at a hundred percent efficiency right now. But I think, you know, we saw it with Dwayne Wade back when the Heatles were at full power and his knees were giving him problems. Like 
he had a lot of bad games and then he had a couple good games and it's just kind of like hit or miss like if your knee is bothering you that night especially if you're a three-point shooter and you rely on your lower body to generate that power even the slightest tweak is going to throw you off especially when you're like as regimented a shooter as Steph and you're taking these stupid like 28 foot three-point shots so I think health is definitely part of it. I also like credit to Cleveland, especially last night. They played, they played him well, and yeah. they they I mean they've made a concerted effort even in the first two games. They were trapping him on pick and rolls. They were just like not giving him the airspace to launch those threes because they know that's what gets that whole team rolling when he's hitting those. Not even just, like, normal three-pointers, but his, like, stupid shots that no one else has any business making. And that, that like, gets the Oracle crowd roaring. So they made a concerted effort not to let him get those shots. They were trapping him. They were doubling him. They were leaving Dre wide open. Dre didn't make him pay for it in Game 1, but he did in Game 2. So it seemed like they switched their strategy a little bit in Game 3 didn't trap as much, mostly just switched, which I, I, we can go back to the Kevin Love stuff. Like I think him being out allowed them to do that a little bit better. Um, but I, I just think their Cleveland's defense deserves credit. Just like, you know, OKC last series, last series, it was like, are the Warriors just playing really bad or the Thunder playing really well? Like, I think after watching the Warriors blow out the Cavs in the first two games, Let's go back to the OKC choke narrative. Like, no, they didn't. They were playing really freaking well against a really historically great team. So I think, you know, Cleveland deserves similar credit for how they handled Steph last night. You know what Cleveland is doing? They're playing whack-a-mole defense. And by that, I mean when you play whack-a-mole, you have to, like, anticipate which one is coming up next. Yeah. So they're trying to. This is like different warriors in the whack a mole holes, and they're like, okay, <laughs> last time around we know that that Steph, he's the guy who who's gonna be hot this game. Whack him. Okay, now it's Draymond. Whack him. Like they know exactly when or when, you know, someone is bound to to uh, to step up. It seems mm-hmm. like they are at least choosing the right player to zero in on at the beginning of games. Um, I, I will say that Draymond's game too. I was really thinking he it was unsustainable yeah because oh yeah <laughs> that's not you know draymond isn't like this high profile scorer right but i did anticipate i did i didn't anticipate he would be that timid in game three though yeah what did he he did wasn't he a plus i wanted to say he was oh no just kidding oh <laughs> he, no one was a plus in the starting lineup but he was the least of the minuses he was only a minus 15 and he was the only Warrior starter to be less than a minus twenty. So well, well, that's good. Yeah, he played a little bit better. It's six point seven rebounds, seven assists, two of eight shooting, zero four from three. It, it seemed like they didn't give him the same type of wide open shots that they were giving him in games one and two. And I noticed, yeah. especially, I mean, LeBron seemed to be the culprit for a lot of that stuff. Like he just would not close out at all even when they they would swing it to dre and he would like hesitate for a second and lebron would just kind of stare at them him with like doe eyes and just be like well i yeah i think that was their strategy was just goad him into these shots because as you said morton he's not a high efficiency scorer especially from three-point range 
But then once he made them pay in game two, Lou said, okay, we can't, you know, we're down 2-0. We can't leave dudes wide open anymore. We just need to give more of an effort defensively. Um, Did you guys notice any other schematic changes last night that contributed to what Cleveland did to the Warriors? Outside of the switching with JR, with RJ, um, I just basically noticed that the game was was going through the or, or the offense was going through the hands of LeBron and Kyrie more, like I touched upon earlier, and that JR Smith could easily easier play off of that mm. instead of like with love there. Mm-hmm. It seemed like he was like he was doing the Reggie Miller last last night, uh, running around just uh, trying to get open shots. That was like a semi-half-hearted attempt in games one and two. Yeah. But here in game three, it was like a concerned effort from the Cavs to seek him out and get him going, as well as keeping their own ball movement going. Um, but, you know, outside of that, it was just like more intensity, I think. They they just, they made shots is really a key difference, though. I mean, we, we shouldn't underestimate it. Kyrie took a bunch of shots that he took, like the same caliber of in Oakland. Right. But, made, but just made them. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. so that that goes a long way. And it's more of a, a product of the switching that you guys talked about. But yeah, they just looked a lot better on defense. Uh, Kyrie specifically, in certain points, was you know up on stuff. He was meeting him at the three point line instead of falling behind or falling asleep or losing focus. Uh, that's huge. And and this isn't a difference. I don't think they do this a lot, but. In particular, I like how they post LeBron like at the elbow mm-hmm. uh, because, oh, yeah. A, he has more space to drive it if he wants to face up and drive. But it also kind of cuts out the angle. Uh, we know the Warriors guards are so good at coming down to dig and, and uh, surprising whoever's posting up and, and knocking yeah. the ball away, and it kind of eliminates that. Uh, so I'd like to see maybe if the Spurs – might want to try that next year a little bit more <laughs> if we're going to build our offense around post-ups. But, of course, you need uh, shooters to put around them. That helps. But, yeah, I like, the, I like that little wrinkle because, yeah, it cuts that out and it's a lot harder for those guards to get in there and muck everything up. I think I think Tyron Lou heard the J.J. Redick podcast with Tracy McGrady because Tracy was actually talking about putting LeBron at the elbow a whole lot more. Oh, he was he was talking about it for a long while, talking about the benefits of it, how easy it was to get to the rim uh, that way because you only have to take like one dribble. It was pretty uh, interesting to listen to and we I mean Tyron play, Ty played with with Tracy in Orlando, I believe. Uh, so, you know, he might have picked up his old teammates uh, podcast on, on JJ Redick and thought, "Oh, hey, there's there's a nugget I can use, but that's just me speculating, obviously. But yeah, <laughs> it 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 worked. And to be frank, like this is this is old old school Kobe stuff, by the way. Kobe yeah. always went to the elbow, and I know for uh, back in the 20, 28, 29 you know season or yeah, 08, 09 season, Kobe actually gave the same advice to Derrick Rose and Russell Westbrook as rookies. He told them, guys, stick close to the elbow, like, you know, get, get go uh, with the back to the basket and then get at the elbow and because you can see the whole court. And if they back up off of you, you can just pull up. So it, it's interesting to see that that is in effect. Yeah, it seems like, Sarah, that point you brought up about the 
Warriors not really slapping the ball away in the post. You're right. Like, I didn't see that mm-hmm. nearly as much in Game 3. Like, that was a huge thing in Game 2, especially Andre Iguodala, I think, had, like, two or three consecutive possessions where LeBron would go to the basket and then try to go up and Iggy slapped it away from him and forced a transition opportunity. And then LeBron naturally, like, cried to the referees and said, <laughs> where's my foul? And then didn't actually run back, um, creating a five-on-four, which is just just give the Warriors two or three points right there. So that's, yeah, that that's a really... A really good point. I uh, I wrote a piece at B-Ball Breakdown about Kyrie and how great he was in Game 3. And Morton, you're right. Like, he was taking the same shots. Like, uh, a lot. I mean, he had 16 points in the first quarter. Um, most of those came on isolation. Like, yeah. like isolation, mid, and long-range jump shots. So they weren't necessarily any different than the type of shots he was taking in the first two games he did use mozgov well to free him up for two open threes at the end of the quarter but like there was one possession where he just kind of shake and baked steph like it was just the two of them and then he did a couple of crossovers and pulled up and drained an 18 footer in his face so i don't know if it was like a schematic thing or if he was just shooting with more confidence you know going into the game he talked about being more aggressive and being more decisive and not dribbling the air out of the ball but yeah just taking shots you know they're going to be contested like that's the thing about the warriors you you have to hit contested shots against them like you're not going to get a plethora of open looks like the ones the cavaliers were gifting to the warriors in games 1 and 2 so you need to be willing to take quote unquote bad shots. And it's just a matter of if you hit them or not. Iverson shots, basically. Yeah. Hey now. Yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah, I, yeah. I, I know, I know. I'm sorry. I know he, he's your boy and all, but look, it's the type there are there is an element, I should say, to Kyrie's game that resembles AI. For sure. Like when when the going gets tough or when they're down, he is the type of guy who can you know, manufacture shots out of thin air, mm-hmm. even if they're contested. Like if he goes two of five, then at least he keeps some sort of life in it. And he's that type of guy, you know, and what he did last night was much necessary. Like he didn't, I mean, 30 points on 25 shots. It's not because it's uber efficient or, or anything, but they needed this. Right. They needed this push, you know? So no, I get it. I totally get that. Yeah, he actually wasn't. So I think he was 7 of 9 in the first quarter, and then he was only 5 of 16 for the rest of the game. So he actually wasn't super efficient, especially after the first quarter. But, I mean, through the games 1 and 2, he had 6 turnovers compared to 5 assists. Game 3 alone, he had 8 assists. Yeah. And game 2, he had 1. And there was that game, like, I think it was... Was it this year or the last year where he had one assist and LeBron James after the game said, you can never do that again. And oh, then, yeah. And then he did yeah. it in a finals game. So I, it seemed like the Cavs were making a concerted effort to get him involved not only as a scorer but as a playmaker as well. Well, he would kind of have to be as well. Like he's their lead guard. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, And besides, that would just be putting too much pressure on LeBron to just do everything, right? Yeah. Like we, they finally discovered that LeBron has to go Draymond on Draymond. Yeah, you yeah, know? I right. Mean, so 
if they add that ball handling duty to his responsibility, you know, there's, I mean, then it's become, it becomes obvious that he's tired and can't really do everything. Speaking of LeBron, by the way, are we all in agreement that his game last night was a big F you to Andre Iguodala? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Just checking because I felt that when I sat there and watched the game, I was like, yeah, he's proving a point right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, because a, a lot of people were saying, like, Iggy's got his number, basically. Like, they, I think I saw somewhere, I forget who tweeted this, but I think it was Tom Haberstrow, maybe, that this was LeBron's first finals game as a Cavalier where he shot above 50%. <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, so it seemed yeah. like he definitely, I'm pretty sure he was sick of hearing how well Iggy was shutting him down. But he also needed that complimentary effort from Kyrie and from J.R. Smith, who had 20 points. I mean, that yeah. was that was the game swinger, in my opinion. Because like, he had just been so bad in the games one and two in Oracle. So for him to come out, I think he had... Not, did he have like nine shot attempts in total in games one and two? And then he had ten three-point attempts alone in game three? Like, he needs to... It's, it goes back to what I was saying, like... You need to take bad shots against the Warriors because they're going to take bad shots against you. They're just going to hit them. So if you <laughs> return the favor, like you know, the, the Cavs came into this series talking about how they were going to match pace with the Warriors and try to outshoot them. That's suicide. You don't do that. But if you can outshoot them on bad shots, that starts to make things a little more even because they're going to take bad shots against you. But it's not sustainable, though. That's true. So, yeah, that's like, yeah. that's the question. Can J.R. Smith do this not only even in Game 4, but they still need to steal a game on the road. Can he do this in Oracle? Well, you know, here's the thing. I think he can, but I don't think that he, LeBron, and Kyrie at the same time can have the same sort of impacts that they had last night. I don't think that that trio can be as effective going forward in the same game. I mm-hmm. think it would have to be more spread out. Or not have to be, sorry, but I think it's going to be more spread out, whereas it would have to be like last night. And I don't think that's going to be the case, especially when they hit Oracle. I would have to agree. I mean, I think what JR did, yeah, he could do that again, especially because they kind of got him going with a combination of, you know, it starts with the Kyrie Thompson pick and roll or the Kyrie LeBron and Kyrie just being aggressive off of that and he got the defense moving uh so they got him a wide open shot early and then you know they turned the the Warriors over that's always been a a weakness for the dubs that exist um they turned them over 18 times I think uh they got out in transition the ball was moving I remember one uh break I don't know if it was Kyrie, but, you know, the ball went to JR in the corner. He passed it back out, then it went back down to him. It was wide open for three. Oh, so right, they, yep. yeah. So they got it going with the good looks. And then he can hit those where, you know, Iguodala is standing right in his face and he just throws <laughs> it up. Yeah, but that's how he got started. It was actually some good looks. Um, so they can do that again. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be difficult to have all three of them go off again. Um, it's not likely, but it could happen. <laughs> it yeah. could happen. But yeah, in Oracle, it's going to be really, really tough, obviously. One note. I, now we've kind of dissected Game 3, right? No one has mentioned rebounding, and that's kind of... going there next, yeah. Morton. 
I'm, I'm, it's kind of curious, right? Because I'm not just talking about us. I'm talking about generally because when Golden State played Oklahoma City, it was all about rebounding and, you know, oh, they're big and they're large, they're hitting the glass, and it becomes apparent. But for some reason, it flew completely under the radar that Cleveland was plus 20 on the boards. Uh, Last night, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's one of the notes I made too. I mean, yeah, this you have to. Like we said, with uh, OKC, you have to out-rebound them. You have to turn them over if you're going to have a chance. Just have yeah. to. Yeah, like exactly. And it seems like Golden State is missing that one rebounder coming off the bench. Like, uh, you know, we had this conversation um, some months back about a very decent rebounder who's going to be available this summer. Like, I think Thomas Robinson would be so good Ooh. in Golden State. Like he's the type of guy you can just if he if if they can sign him somehow, and he can come in and just board the crap out of that ball. Brian, I'm gonna he's ask gonna... you to delete that part out of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not give them any ideas, please. Yeah, because you, oh, you want right. more than that first. is a great idea though. My God. Yeah, Whoa. that would be really. I, I mean, you could probably get him for the mid level. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and and he could come in like if he's given 15, 18 minutes, he couldn't average six seven rebounds high percentage of contested yeah because i think like, most spades is a free agent after this year right yeah i think so I, I i don't know if he has another year no i think wait i think he's a free agent i think so yeah. so you're gonna theoretically gonna need to replace him possibly festus as well like you you might need an entirely new front court rotation off the bench next year Possibly, yeah. I could, I could see Mo stick around though for cheap. Yeah, he he seems to really love it there. And, yeah, and he look. This is like the one place where he can get the green light. I know. Like, gonna, whenever yeah. he comes in, it's like he looks at Steve, and Steve just go go. Yeah, just just go. You know, I think he loves that. I think he appreciate that. I, I he's probably gonna say, you know what, I'm gonna stick around. I can shoot threes. Here. Yeah, right. This is the one yeah. team where I actually will get to get be able to shoot threes and and steve kerr they were down like 27 to 10 last night i want to say and then he turned to spates and said go give us some <laughs> yeah. offense and then he hit a three right away so yeah i i have a feeling he probably sticks around too but i'm glad you brought up the rebounding uh before the series started shameless plug i wrote a thing at b-ball breakdown about how cleveland needs to dominate the glass uh in the western conference finals the three games that okc won they had a rebounding margin of plus eight or better. So without significantly out-rebounding the Warriors, they lost every time. When it was close or if the Warriors out-rebounded them. I just wrote a thing at today's Fast Break, actually, about Tristan Thompson, who is going to be the unsung hero of Game 3, in my opinion. So the Warriors, as a team, had eight offensive rebounds last night. Tristan had seven. You guys said it; they out-rebounded him. 52 to 32 overall they had second chance points it was 23 to 3 in favor of cleveland and in the, in the first two games it was pretty evenly matched i think it was 15 13 warriors in game one and then 15 13 Cavs in game two uh they won the points in the paint battle i think it was 54 to 32 the warriors won that the first two games so I think that's the key for Cleveland moving forward. You need to control the paint. You need to out-rebound them in the paint. You need to outscore them in the paint. You need to dominate because that's your advantage. You have the size to bully them, especially, you know, I, I think we could throw this question out there. 
Andrew Bogut's been pretty bad in this series, so you have to wonder, are they going to switch to the death lineup in Game 4? And if they do, then Cleveland, like, now it's even more imperative to out-rebound them, because if they get out in transition, you're dead. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting note that you have to score near the rim, because that would actually suggest that Kevin Love still has a role to play. It seems they are really going away from that. Like, he, he can score in the post. This right. is not, like, it, it seems like he's just, I, I've, I've used this term a lot, I think, on this podcast as well. Uh, Kevin Love on Cleveland is playing like a glorified Al Harrington. Yes. Like, I mean, I, I, I want to see Kevin be Kevin. Like, get offensive rebounds, put backs, get near the basket, run some elbow stuff. He, he, it's, it's just not happening. So, I think... Yeah, you're right. If you they can maximize their efforts and getting uh, scoring around the rim and and while cleaning up the glass, yeah, they have a shot. They would have to get LeBron into Miami Heat mode though. Like when yeah. he got near the rim, like on every possible possession and and backed uh, everyone down. It, it seems like he's become a little bit more perimeter oriented, mm-hmm. not in terms of long range shooting, but like that 16, 17 pull up J. Mm-hmm. Is it just me? I mean, this is... I, I haven't even read any stats on it. It's just like an eyeball thing. It, is it me, or does it look like he's taking more of those pull-ups? Yeah, I would, I would agree, yeah. Yeah, it seemed like... Well, so in the second quarter, he really seemed like he was trying to attack the basket, and he just wasn't effective. Like, he was not oh, yeah. hitting those shots. But then Tristan was coming through. He had six offensive rebounds in the second quarter alone. Golden State had zero that quarter. And that's yeah. when the game really busted open for Cleveland like when it when it the Warriors cut it to nine a couple times and it was like oh my god are the Cavs really about to blow a 20-point lead at home and Tristan really helped stymie any momentum Golden State had like LeBron would throw something up around the rim miss Tristan would grab the offensive rebound and throw down a putback dunk or draw a foul so yeah I mean I don't know so we we all said earlier that Kevin Love can't start, but do you guys think he's useless in this series? Is it like a Bogut situation last year where he just should not even see the court for the next couple games? Or does he have a role off the bench? I mean, it's Kevin Love. Of course he has some sort of role. It's just, it, it's about defining it, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's, it, you know, it seems like with Kevin in, in Cleveland, it's just they, they threw him out there saying, hey, you're a star. Go be a star. It it seems undefined. Um, he just lurks around the three point line so much, and he doesn't move his feet a whole lot defensively. And then people, you know, key in on that. We do too. Right. But I mean, he's insanely skilled. You know, skilled and and has a raw talent that's just mind boggling. Honestly. So yeah, there's a role for him. They just need to find it. They just need to understand how to use him and. Look, I can come up with some half-baked idea of putting him in the post like I did moments ago, but <laughs> I, I I don't know if that's going to work. I don't know if it's going to work putting him at the elbow. I don't know if the best possible outcome you can have is actually doing what you do now with having lurking around the three-point line. I don't know, but that's up to Tyron Lou and the coaching staff to find a way to utilize Kevin Love because you can use the skill set. You can use the talent. You just need to funnel it the right way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree that I think you have to find a way to use, like like Morton said, his skill set. Um, it is going to be difficult defensively. Um, 
but like like you suggested, Brian, if you if you keep if you bring him off the bench, perhaps and, and don't share a lot of time with him and Kyrie. Yeah, maybe it's a little easier to kind of hide that one defensive vulnerability at a time. Right. Um, especially do it if Kyrie keeps playing better defense. Like he actually looked good at times last night on defense. <laughs> it's like, where has that been? But yeah, I don't know if you if you just use him off the bench kind of overlap his minutes with LeBron, though, a little bit. Uh, post LeBron at the elbow and, and stick him in around the three-point line. Love and a bunch of other shooters. Uh, that could work. Uh, I would love to see him be able to score points in the paint, but I just it's hard to post Gold State for some reason. It's so damn difficult, because, especially on the block, because, like I said, the, the guards are going to come down and dig. Uh, it's too slow. It slows down your entire offense to to back down from that angle. Um, and Draymond is is such a pain. <laughs> yeah. So I think you, I think you try it to see what kind of luck he has against Draymond. But if he's not getting anywhere, you have to try something else. Yeah, I think you nailed it, Sarah. The problem with him in the starting lineup is he and Kyrie are both liabilities unless Kyrie plays like he did last night Mm -hmm. and you cannot have two defensive liabilities on the floor against Golden State particularly their starting lineup like they just have too many shooters too many open looks too many playmakers like Dre Clay and Steph can all really swing the ball around very well and even Bo gets a pretty good passer for a big man so I think you definitely need to do love off the bench with like Delhi and with Shumpert, with LeBron as much as possible. Ideally, I'd say you put him at the five off the bench and then match him with Festus or with Spates or Bogut if he's out there. Even, I mean, ideally you're keeping him away from Draymond Green, but you know that whoever he's guarding, the Warriors going to target and pick and rolls. So I think it comes down more there to schematic things. I don't think you can trap. Uh, I mean, I, really, I think you just need to, as much as you stagger his minutes with Kyrie, I think you do the same thing with Curry. Like, you need to really limit his exposure to Stephen Curry. Mm-hmm. Because if, if they run a pick and roll and he he gets switched on to Steph, he's dead. I mean, that we talked about that ad nauseum throughout before the series started, the first two games, etc. Like, that's a well-known fact. He's just not able to hang with Steph or with Clay or with any of these guards. So I think there is a role for him. And the thing I I, I know this is going to, this narrative is already percolating, that, you know, he's a $100 million player. You can't play him for only 15 minutes a night, that kind of thing. But... Bogut made a similar sacrifice last year in games four through six. Like, he didn't play a single second in those games. And that won them the title. So if Love is willing to embrace this smaller role and goes up to Tyron Lue and says, look, man, we played really well with Richard Jefferson in the starting lineup. Like, I don't care about my minutes. I don't care about my role. I'll play 10 minutes, but if it helps our team win, that's fine. Or if I'm getting roasted, like, pull me the hell out. Don't let my pride, my ego get in the way of the team. I don't know if he does that. But if he does, I think he deserves credit for doing so, much like Bogut got last year. Well, obviously. I mean, yeah, you would have to be a fool to not credit him for that. Sure. But I I don't know if he gets that credit, even if he does do that, because his contract is so big. 
No, I don't think it's about his contract. I think it's because of the Cleveland bias, you know, or, yeah. or you know, or anti-Cleveland bias, whatever you want to call it. Like, let's just face it. Cleveland is a team that many people in America dislike because of the presence of LeBron James. And if LeBron James is on the roster, everyone else is viewed as negative players, people, whatever. It's dreadfully unfair. It's completely and utterly ridiculous. But it is, that's how people you know, choose to perceive it. And so it just ignore the people who wouldn't give love credit if that happens. Like, of course you would deserve credit. Mm -hmm. While on the subject of love, by the way, here's an, a very half-baked, like quarter-baked idea of, of mine. Um, let's say he does come off the bench, right? I would actually pair him with Mo Williams instead of Matthew Dellavedova because it oh. seems like Mo is a little bit more explosive. He can he can pull up, and he doesn't like need everything served for him. He, he, can, he can, you know, go for a pick and roll, pull up for three. He's a little bit more of a dynamic scorer. He can shoot, stretch, all that. And then I want to see, like, Kevin coming off the bench being the main feature player when he enters the game. Mm -hmm. Like, go use Minnesota sets for all I care just to give him the same shots that he got in Minnesota. Like, basically, let him go most spates on it. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, seriously, just like, hey, Kevin, go in and be most spates. You've got the green light. Like, whatever you want to do. Like, right. you know, if you if you want to mix it up a little bit like you did in Minnesota, like take a, an elbow jump shot, follow that up with a post hook, uh, get a handoff and pull up from free. By the way, that was a very underrated play that they ran in Minnesota with with uh, Nikola Pekovic and Kevin Love. Like, mm -hmm. Pekovic would hold the ball on top of the key. Love would sprint out to it, just get the handoff, and he would pull the F up right. and just drain it. That was a good play, and I've not seen that being utilized a whole lot in Cleveland, and that was a play that he did well. So I want to see Love get a little bit more of his mojo going. Like, just give him the green light, make him feel comfortable off the bench, and whatever happens, happens. Like, if he sucks, you know, Ty can pull him. So be it. I just, I just want to see them at least try to unleash the love. <laughs> Spread the love, man. That should be yeah. the, the title of their championship DVD if they end up winning. <laughs> Unleash the love. Hey, you know, I, I said it first. Patent. Yeah, patent. yeah. yeah we, we got a year, folks. All right. Do you guys have any other major topics we should touch on before I get your predictions for game four? Well, one, Harrison Barnes oh, yeah. is actually looking fairly decent right now. And... You know, it only takes one team, right? I mean, <laughs> prior to this series, I was like, and I'm still not uh, inclined to believe that he's a max player. I don't think he's a max player. I think it's he's going to be drastically overpaid. Right. But now, you know, because he's performing in the finals, some team is going to say, well, he's stepping up on the biggest stage. He's a basketball player. Don't you say it. Don't so, you, you know, it. I haven't said anything. I just, <laughs> I, just, I just said that some team out there is probably looking at him and saying he's a basketball player and we need basketball players. <laughs> I'm not saying anything else, Brian, but yeah. The, the Sixers yeah. are too busy trading Nerlens Noel <laughs> for a Jeff Teague coming off of a patellar tear. So they're... And then following that up with Barnes yeah. and you have a cheap Barnes <laughs> offseason and they're going to be like, yeah, we did it. We cashed in big time. That's how we use assets. I'm going to move. I'm, gonna, I'm just going <laughs> to leave the country if that happens. Yeah, that's oh, it. you can leave the country anyway. It's Hillary versus Trump, man. That's true. That's uh, <laughs> no the uh, the Barnes oh. thing is a good point because he actually did play really well in Game Three. He was like one of their lone bright spots, 
I think he had the most rebounds of any Warrior, if I remember correctly. And he was actually, especially in the second quarter, when Tristan was just dominating the offensive glass, he was actually coming down with some pretty contested rebounds. So, yeah, yeah, I was impressed by, you know, I think the thing with Barnes is he just doesn't seem to have, he's kind of like Andrew Wiggins in a way. Like, he doesn't seem to have that mentality of a true number one scorer. And even if you put him on a bad team, I don't think he will. But he can affect the game in a lot of other ways. Like, he's very athletic. He does have, like, some rebounding chops. So he just needs to do that more. Like, he needs to just know his role. It's kind of like Andre Iguodala could be doing a lot more, but he knows his role on this Warriors team. And that won him a finals MVP. So, but I mean, Barnes, no matter what he does, he's getting a max deal this year. So, just... But that's 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 so weird, though. Like, would you rather have Matt Barnes on a max deal or Kent Basemore for $16 million a year? Or 17 whatever he's going to get. Like, that's probably going to be in that area between yeah. 15 and 18 I would I would much rather have Kent Basemore. Yeah, just because I don't see a huge difference... In terms of what they'll provide, and I think the, yeah. the salary differences alone would, would exactly more money for Thomas Robinson. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, no. good, good, good call on Barnes there. All right, so game four prediction, Sarah. Who do you have and why? I think it's going to be a close game. Let's hope. Yes, let's. Uh, man, I, I still I think I have to go Dubs in a close one. Hopefully, fingers crossed. We gotta believe that Steph and Clay are gonna get going at some point, right? Yeah. They have yeah. to. And I don't know if Kyrie and and JR are gonna replicate their performance. I hope that Kyrie remains aggressive, as I, you mm-hmm. know, that's one of the things that I mentioned to you in our finals preview, which I would brag about, but it doesn't take a genius to <laughs> say that he has to play well and be aggressive for them to to have a chance. So, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I like Steph's body language is worrying me though. And yeah. you did mention that. <sighs> but he's still he's still capable of the magic, so yeah, I'm gonna go with them in a close one. Morton, how about you? Oh man, I'm I'm really tense about this because I actually had three solid predictions. Um <laughs> yeah, you can't, to open this phone. Can't blow yeah. this one. High pressure no, pressure's on. No, that that's really. I, I mean, honestly, um, on my Danish Facebook page, um, no need to follow, guys. It's all in Danish. You wouldn't understand <laughs> anyway. Um, I I actually made some prediction for the first three games of the series, and I've been catching lightning in a bottle. It's really been like unique. I I really hit on it, like the game flow and everything. So if I come up with a prediction now, there's like a whole bunch of pressure on me right now. Um, but you know what? I'm gonna settle with saying three is good enough. So I, if I mess this one up, it's okay. it's gonna be okay. That's true. So I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback on on Sarah's comment about you know Golden State's two guys. They're they're gonna step up eventually, and that would be the next game. Yeah. Side note: I said Dubs in six, and even after getting blown out by thirty, I'm actually gonna change my prediction to five instead of six. Wow. Because I I still think for some reason you know if they could take that the next one I when I looked at those guys even though I'm kind of skeptical of Steph right now 
they had those moments, right? Where right. they got back and they were like, okay, we're just a couple of crazy threes away from they, them taking over. They, yeah. they were right there a couple of times. Yeah. So I think game four is the return of the Stephen Curry show. And I think game four is also <laughs> the return of Clay Thompson looking human again. Mm. And they're going to win. And I think my biggest prediction here is I think they're going to win comfortably. Interesting. Have those guys had, I guess, game seven in the Western Conference Finals? Like, have those guys gone nuclear at the same time? Or has it been, like, one one guy is, like, just, you know, hot as the More sun? or less one guy. But I think one of them is going to go nuclear and the other, he's just going to be, like, normal hot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm with you guys. I do think the Warriors win. I, I'm impressed with what Cleveland did. But I am supremely worried that they put Kevin Love back in the starting lineup. And I just think, you know, that we you had to expect a LeBron James-led team was not going to get swept. Like, you know, the, the 2007 team against the Spurs, that was a different story. Because if you look at that roster, it is a tire fire. But this roster has a lot of talent. There is no way he was going to get swept with the final two games on his home court. You had to figure game three was their best chance to steal a game because if you know if you're down 3-0 and you steal a game it really doesn't matter you still know you're going to get crushed but now there's at least a little bit of hope uh i mean i think the warriors they might have gotten a little complacent after that game two blowout i think if if the blowout was in game one and the closer game was in game two last night might have been a little bit of a different story i think the cavaliers still win but probably not by 30 so, yeah, I, I think – I just feel like the Warriors are going to come out a little more hungry in Game 4 because they know, you know, we missed our chance to really basically close out the series. But if we go up 3-1 on them, going back to Oracle for Game 5, like we all – we know what's going to happen in that game. And they did not close out last year's – they closed out in Cleveland. So I think they want to do it in front of their home fans. I... So you're saying they dropped this one? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, I think they win this one. And I did have the Warriors at five before the series, and I'm not. Yes, you did. I am not budging from that prediction. I I just I mean, if they lose, obviously if they lose Game Four, I will be wrong. But if they win Game Four, I don't see them going back to Oracle and dropping a closeout game at home. Sarah, has your prediction, your series prediction changed at all after these first three games? I don't like to change my prediction. I don't know why. I just like to stick with it. Um, <laughs> I, all along, I thought five was the smart pick. Yeah. Um, it still feels like five to me, but yeah, I'm going to stay with six. I should say that I do think what Cleveland did, they can do again. Like, it wasn't that drastic. I mean... The pick and rolls that they went through, the the switching defense they need to keep up, posting LeBron at the elbow, Kyrie being aggressive, like all of that, it's not that big a deal. Like they can do that again. Now, the thing, the question is, are Steph and Clay gonna keep looking like they look? That's the bigger question to me. Uh, yeah. And we figure they probably won't. But yeah. So now I'm just gonna stick with six though, because I'm crazy like that. 
So Brian, did you hear that? Like, I'm not changing my predictions. Yeah. <laughs> like, she just took the high road. Like, the, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I know what you did, Morden. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I saw. I'm not gonna do that. No, nope. uh, it's nope. the smart I'm, thing yeah. to do, though. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you see how it's going, and you're like, okay, yeah, it's probably five. They, they just, I see how it's going. They just lost by thirty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I don't. Yeah, yeah, it's the Warriors, though. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. That's that's really where it is. Like this team. I mean, there's really no doubt, in my mind at least, that they're going to win this series. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're going to be the defending champions again. Or, or they're, yeah, they are. Two, they, they're on the verge of becoming this, I mean, this dynasty, right? They, they could run off like four championships in a row. See, I don't know about that. Oh, interesting. I think uh, who someone on Bleacher Report, I think it was... Dan Favale on Bleacher Report wrote a story about how this offseason is really pivotal for them, win or lose. And a lot of it comes down to their bench depth. They just have a lot of guys who are free agents. Yeah. Um, I think it was like Barbosa, Spates. I think Livingston signed for one more year. I, I have it right here. It's Spates, Barbosa, Brandon Rush, Isili, Barnes, Ian Clark, then James McAdoo, but who cares? Yeah, right, right. Um, right. Yeah. yeah so, so, so sorry, James. But, yeah, yeah. Right. So and then Anderson Barishow. Oh God, that <laughs> he's really just—I'm convinced he is a saboteur for Cleveland. <laughs> Every time he plays, it, things just go in Cleveland's favor. But yeah, that Barnes, Azili, Spates, Barbosa, those guys are all important. So yeah, that matters. I mean, yeah. yeah. So I mean, in Game One, this—the difference was the depth. They, they the bench outscored. Cleveland's bench 45 to 10 it was a 15 point game so if the bench doesn't go nuclear like Steph and Clay haven't played well like it, it very easily could have been 2-1 in Cleveland's favor with a game four mm -hmm. at home so you know between that and the possibility of a Kevin Love trade kind of rounding out Cleveland's roster next year the possibility of OKC getting another three and D wing and just I mean, developing, like, they have so many young guys, like Steven Adams with a whole nother year of development, and the pressure of a KD, Westbrook, and Ibaka all becoming free agents at the same time. Like, I'm not I'm not convinced that we're going for a three-peat next year, but I, I do, I'm with you, Morton. I do think they, even if they don't win it in five, I'd be very surprised if they lost this series. Yeah, I mean... That would be historic, right? At this point, I mean, with that roster and a seventy-three win team losing, oh man, I can't even comprehend it right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think that's the case. But it's, it's an interesting thing about the Dubs free agency. We're we're gonna do a podcast. On, we should do a podcast on that. Like, oh, for sure, because, we will. Yeah, yeah. I think Leandro Barbosa is gonna stick around. He's thirty-three after all. Mm -hmm. I think you can get him for cheap. And if not, you can actually find a shooter who is younger and may actually extend the, the, the life of the bench. Right, that's true. Who knows? Yeah, we, we will tackle both Cleveland and Golden State's off-seasons uh, once, once the finals have wrapped up. Bye-bye, Kevin Love. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that was a good finals preview. We've all got the dubs in Game 4, dubs taking the series still. We're going to turn our attention now to our new segment called Storytime with Uncle Mort, because <laughs> Morton missed the last podcast. He was busy gallivanting with Andre Drummond. So, Uncle Mort, tell us about your time with Andre. Oh, 
first of all, such a waste of money. I went, uh, I live in Copenhagen and he was going to be at an event in Odense, which is, um, yeah, about a hundred or so miles away. And, and, and I had to get a hotel there and the train there and it, it cost a little bit more than I probably could afford, but so be it. I thought, you know, Andre was going to be at an event and it was pretty cool. I hung out with him for three days. Didn't really speak to him because I was, uh, I, I had a media pass and his publicist or whatever said like no media whatsoever. And I, <laughs> I learned that on the very first day I was there. I was like, okay, so I can't even, I, I, I can't ask the guy any questions. Nope. <laughs> okay. So we're both sitting in the VIP lounge, like five feet next to each other for three straight days. <laughs> like, I don't think anyone has spent as much time with Andre Drummond as I have without even talking to the man. Like really. <laughs> And I couldn't ask him a damn question. It was like, okay, well, fair enough, so be it. But I gotta give Andre some some props though. He was so good. He was really. He took so much time with the kids. He had a lot of a lot of fun, and it was it was genuine because as I was remember, I was sitting right there with him, and he he said several times that he was having a good time and enjoying himself to like his inner crowd. Like he wouldn't do that if he didn't have that and he was like un unprovokedly he took like out his phone and, and took pictures and videos of of you know random kids that sh you know shot jump shots and, and competition stuff or whatever he really enjoyed it and it was just so good and patient and and signed autographs and high-fived with the kids it was really great the one thing and brian i mean you remember this. I Skyped you yeah. on my phone from the hotel <laughs> and I was red as a tomato because I'd been outside. It'd been like 90 degrees or whatever. And Sarah, don't you dare laugh at me <laughs> because I know you're used to much more than that. You, you were teasing me afterwards. That's not nice. But yeah, I, I was I was red as a tomato. I was like, Brian, Brian, you know, he's an, Andre's a free agent. Look, look what he, you know, you got to hear what he did. And he was doing this celebrity game with a bunch of um, yeah Danish celebs or yeah I wouldn't even call them that what I, whatever, um, and he was doing a bunch of dunks and that on the surface sounds okay right but remember the Paul George injury yeah uh, with the Team USA like the the basket the whole stanchion there was like a a foot closer to the baseline or yeah I don't know how how long it was but. Here in this setup, it was like less than a feet, like less than half a feet away <laughs> from the actual baseline. Like the stanchion of the court had no empty area under the basket. It was just like the basket and then one big stanchion right there. And he came down and this was outside on asphalt and whatever. And he came running down and he just took off, right? And he, he had a very some very nice dunks, but... He had so much speed on that if he had landed wrongly at one point, that would have gone horribly wrong. And then at one point, the dude tries to dunk, like put the ball between his legs and dunk <laughs> afterwards. And you know how when you do it successfully, both your legs are up in the air. They're both bent and up in the air. Yeah. All right. Thank God his dunk attempt failed very early because it allowed his right leg to stay extended so he could land on it. But if he hadn't, he would have slammed himself with a lot of speed, mind you, straight into the stanchion. Oh. It was like the whole crowd was like, ooh, when he did that. <laughs> I got chills down my spine. I was like, and the first thing I thought was like, okay, there goes 100 million. Yeah. Like, that was, I mean, look, 
all respect to Andre Drummond for for wanting to put on a show for the kids. I cannot at any way like complain about it. I'm not even complaining about the dunk attempt. It's just, I was just I was caught by surprise that he was willing to do that. Yeah, his, like when, when when he was a restricted free agent. His agent must have had a heart attack if he was there <laughs> at the time. Yeah, like jeez, I was I was very surprised to see that. I thought he was like gonna go easy, and he did for like the most part of this game. He he took like three pointers and whatever, um, and just like you know, hit, stuck back a little bit, you know, took some jump shots. And then he just decided to say, well, screw this. I'm going to dunk on people. I'm going to go all out. <laughs> but when he did that, though, I, I sat there up in the VIP section. I had a good look at it. And I was like, no, 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 no. I was, I was really concerned on his behalf. So Pistons fans out there, don't worry. He's fine. I don't know what he's doing in France right now. But if, he, if you hear about a torn ACL or whatever, yeah. it's probably because he tried to do that. And let's, let's hope that's not the case. Knocks on wood. But wow that was like i i don't think i've ever seen that happen from like a restricted free agent or just a free agent <laughs> in general especially one that young i was like wow you dare do that right now because he was he was running full speed man yeah he he robbed you of the chance of like the biggest breaking scoop of the year <laughs> I, i'm glad he did yeah. that though but yeah mm, that's that's true. that's true like i jesus i would have gone to like 10k followers if i Oh yeah, posted that on Twitter. But yeah. you know, I am so glad that that didn't happen. I'm perfectly satisfied with my lowly 600, <laughs> if that's it, because Morgan. I'm just glad that nothing happened. C- yeah. Could you tell us where you were sitting again? <laughs> the VIP lounge. Yeah. I'm sorry. I think I said that a couple of times. Yeah, that was nice. That's I love nice. it, so, man. Plug yeah. it. Yeah, put I, it out there. Free soda, man. Woo. Very I love, important. I love person. the thought of like, yeah, you and Andre Drummond just chilling in this VIP lounge. <laughs> you know it was it was so surreal it was like i i i went back to this really horrible hotel it had no air condition by the way and it had just been baking in the sun all day so when i came in there it was like uh 38 degrees celsius i'm i'm not sure what that is in in fahrenheit i have no idea what that is yeah probably 100 or something yeah yeah very hot um and it was it was just so horrible. i had to take like five cold showers in the course of the (laughs) evening just to keep keep cold and it was like this. I sat there, this this really shitty hotel room, and like the day after, like okay, I'm gonna go down and see Andre Drummond and sit next to Andre <laughs> Drummond again. Like okay, and I did that for for three straight days. Like went down to the harbor because it was near a harbor, and like just sat down next to Andre Drummond and knew that I couldn't ask him a goddamn thing. I was like, okay, <laughs> it was a very surreal moment. I was gonna say it had to be surreal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very surreal. Here's the thing: he's six ten, six eleven. And he really wasn't that big when, when, you know, he stood next to you. What really caught me was the length of his legs and arms. Like, his arms are so long, he could actually scratch his own ankles, you would think, like standing <laughs> up, right? It's really that when, when he got into, like, a defensive stance as well, and you could see it close up, you kind of understand the height. Like, it's not mm. his height per se. It's just the length. And the, he covers so much ground when he runs. I mean, not under the Kumpo style, but he, for a center, he covers more ground than you would think. And I didn't, I haven't really paid a whole lot of attention to it when seeing the Pistons, mm-hmm. but I'm sure as hell gonna pay attention to it this year because, wow, my goodness. But yeah, it, it was it was fun. Like uh, overall, I mean, good guy Dre. I really appreciated that. I thought he was gonna be like one of these sulky NBA stars, thinking this was 
beneath and whatever. But then I rem- rem- was reminded he's 22, so yeah. he enjoyed the hell out of it. And oh yeah, I, f- I forgot to mention, and it's because I wasn't there. Apparently, Friday and Saturday night, he went to like a local place, like a local club, and then he spun records for two hours. <laughs> He just, he just went out and he was DJing like in in downtown at a club for you know for two two nights straight, and I was sitting in my goddamn hotel room. I didn't know about it, and I would sure as hell have been there had I known about it, and I would have taken some great pictures. So yeah, Andre Drummond was like the DJ, the 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 basketball player, the star, the everything that weekend, and and yeah, it was it was kind of fun, man. There you go. We we just got a. First-hand glimpse into Andre Drummond's time in Copenhagen. I I can't even imagine people there at that club must have been so confused when they see this like seven-foot dude walking in and spinning records. Yeah, I, I mean, I that's really the one thing that annoyed me. I wanted to be there so I could <laughs> see people's reactions yeah, right. to it. Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, everyone knew that he was coming to the town because it was plastered on posters. Oh, all okay, over, you know. Okay. But but still, like, could you just imagine him going in? And I think the uh, the club was even called the gym, which is pretty fitting, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so and then he just started apparently spinning records, and I saw some videos of it, and he was having a, a, a grand old time. And that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Oh, and I also um, overheard his um, his Danish uh, security team. Uh, they spoke like internally, and and I was standing next to. Um, uh, yeah, some some sort of tent setup they had going, and they were just talking about how cool this guy was, like to work mm. with. He was so professional and listened to everyone. It's like it really left everyone with a very good taste in their mouths that his his visit had been there. It was really positive all around. So good for him, good for the NBA. I mean, great setup. It was just it couldn't have gone smoother. Um, just ignoring the mist under. The, the legs dunk right aside from the, the <laughs> almost broken leg thing <laughs> all right well that was that was a good story time uncle mort you gotta get back out there and get us some more intel on the nba in europe crowd <laughs> yeah next year baby yeah seriously we get like one star here or, or just one nba player last year was robert ori it was like okay hi robert You're so many players or so many people were like did you play once? It was like, so, yeah, okay. You can go to Turkey. Go check out uh, Dario Saric. Tell me how he's doing. Hey, I will. Will you uh, PayPal me? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Good. All right, cool. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us here at the NBA Podcast presented by B-Ball Breakdown. Check us out on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can also find us on SoundCloud and on iTunes. So please check us out there. Leave us reviews. Um, you can find us at B-Ball Breakdown as well. Check out bballbreakdown.com for plenty of playoff coverage. We've got a bunch of reaction to every finals game going up. We've got some good previews as well. Uh, our off-season coverage and our draft coverage is starting to ramp up as well. Uh, next time around, we're going to have Jeff Fairer of bballbreakdown.com for some draft talk. So keep an eye out for that in the coming days. Uh, Until then, guys, we will enjoy Game 4, and we'll talk soon. We will, Brian, and thank you for for, uh, remembering the iTunes thing. You didn't even know we had an iTunes going. I did not, (laughs) but now I know, so I'll be shamelessly promoting it. Yep. (laughs) All right, guys, take care. Likewise, Brian.
Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine & More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine & more. Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in-store or online at TotalWine.com. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clear. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.